You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, it's Chris Spangle, the host and founder of We Are Libertarians. And this particular debate was not produced or hosted by We Are Libertarians, Hody, or any of the rest of us here. Um, it was hosted by the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. And they have graciously allowed us to rip the audio for you of their debate and put it up in our feed. And we have some exciting news. Uh, there was a, a, an issue, and the person that was producing the debates for the Libertarian Party of Kentucky was not able to do it anymore. And so they reached out to We Are Libertarians to help provide some tech support. So on Saturday, May 16th at 8 p.m., We Are Libertarians, the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, the Libertarian Party of Missouri, and Reason Magazine will be co-sponsoring a debate uh, at 8 p.m. And it will be hosted on all of our social medias. So you can go to Reason or we are libertarians facebook page and watch it there you can watch it on on youtube uh i believe it'll be on the lp national youtube so we'll see but you can check all that out on saturday night it will be moderated by matt welch of reason and the candidates participating will be adam kokesh joe jorgensen justin amash jacob hornberger and judge jim gray we will also be providing tech support and co-sponsoring the debates on Tuesday night, I think it is 7 or 8 p.m. I should, probably should have looked this up before I did the promo uh, for the vice presidential candidates. And then Wednesday night uh, for the presidential candidates again for a smaller amount as chosen by delegates. So please tune in. We will also put those the audio of those here for you to catch up. But we really appreciate it if you'd go and uh, like those, share those, and get as many people watching as possible. It's a great opportunity for them to see Libertarians debate and show off who your choices are. So thank you so much, and we appreciate you tuning into We Are Libertarians, and we appreciate all of our patrons, because without our patrons, when... The Libertarian Party of Kentucky and Reason Magazine wanted to co-sponsor a debate. We have the technical ability to do so because of the things that we were able to buy because of our patrons. So thank you so much for that. We are able to take advantage of opportunities because of your patronage. And so we truly do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Enjoy this debate. Or, you know, as much as you can when a bunch of libertarians are arguing. Good evening and welcome to the Libertarian Party of Kentucky's uh, fifth debate that we have hosted uh, with the Libertarian uh, presidential candidates. Uh, we're going to just go through a couple rules tonight. I did want to thank our candidates for participating. Uh, tonight we have Judge Jim Gray, Congressman Justin Amash, uh, Jacob Hornberger, Berman Supreme, and Dr. Joe Jorgensen. I also wanted to thank Scott Philback and Christy Kendrick for their help in setting this up. Dan Fishman with LP National for assisting. And I'd like to also thank and put a shout out to our co-hosts this evening that are live streaming this, the Libertarian Party of Indiana, the Libertarian Party of Texas, the Libertarian Party of Tennessee, the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, the Libertarian Party of New York, West Virginia, and Michigan. Any viewers that are not already members, please consider joining the National Party at LP.org or your state affiliate. For the primary uh, Libertarian Party voting delegates, the primary delegates that are on tonight, um, there will be a uh, emailed poll by OpaVote. Uh, please email lpkykendrick at yahoo.com to make sure that you are added to that list. There will be a date. Uh, there will be a, a vote that's also online by Facebook, but um, we are doing a secured primary delegate only poll. We will be sharing that with the candidates 
Um, and again, if you want to participate, lpkykendrick at yahoo.com. Couple quick rules and then we'll get going. Uh, each candidate will be given two minutes to respond to a question and two minutes to present closing arguments. Each candidate will be given three time extension cards that they can use for a rebuttal or an extension, or if you don't use it otherwise, uh, it will be used uh, in your closing and added automatically to your closing. Uh, I may charge you a time card if you uh, extend your answer by more than 15 seconds after the time uh, rings. Please don't talk or interrupt each other. Um, and again, some questions for me may be multi-part. Finally, each candidate will have the opportunity to ask a question of another candidate. These should be generally not multi-part. And we, we are not going to permit more than two questions of the same candidate in an effort to prevent any sort of piling on. Uh, finally, there will be a general poll put up online just with the viewers that are watching the debate at the end. Um, and with that, I'd like to go ahead and start um, with our first question of the evening. Please tell us about yourself and why you decided to run for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination. What are the objectives of your campaign? And if you plan on winning, how you plan to do it? Um, the first question will first go to Judge Gray. Judge Gray? Well, and thank, thank you. Your thoughts on our people. Uh, I'm getting an echo. Is there one there? But okay, I'm Judge Jim Gray, and many of you know me. I was proud to be the vice presidential candidate, <laughs> Governor Gary Johnson, in 2008 and 12. But also, I will venture to say that I have a stronger background, a stronger uh, record than any presidential candidate in this race from any party. That I was a Peace Corps volunteer. I care about people. In fact, I was down in Costa Rica, Puedo hablar español como la gente, todavía. I was also then in the second year of law school, May of 1970, where I led a peace march from USC campus down to the Los Angeles City Hall, where we mailed 20,000 letters to President Nixon demanding that he remove our troops from Cambodia. Then in one of the ironies of my life, within about two or three months, I was actually on a midshipman cruise with the Navy. I was sent to the rivers of Vietnam, where our entire ship, a USS Meeker County, was given a combat action ribbon. So I went from both extremes. I was a Navy JAG attorney for about four years, and then a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles. Actually ended up heading a unit prosecuting fraud against the government, AJBA, a prosecution by a few bank vice presidents. I'm in the responsibility business and the level of society. Then I was actually a judge, elected judge in Orange County, California, for 25 years. Actually, I started a number of programs, including peer court, which is helping mentoring your students. In addition, this is something back very libertarian. Back in 1992, I chose a real libertarian courage, I believe, because I held a press conference based upon my observations and experience, not only in my own courtroom, but elsewhere. It's telling the world, anyone that would listen, that our nation's drug policy of drug prohibition simply was a failure, and we had to change it. I put my profession at risk. I put my life at risk in a lot of ways, but some things are worth more than job security. That's what I did, and I've been doing it ever since. I've been speaking broadly with regard to our failed drug policy as well as others. I was on the O'Reilly factor a couple of times, for example. He didn't really like what I was saying, but he invited me back, so at least there's something. But look, what we need to do is to change the culture in our country. We libertarians are the only party in the mainstream today in a political culture. We need to get those words out because we have so many constituents. We have young people. In fact, I was just recently a grandfather. 
wonderful experience, April 21st. And I was holding my little grandson on April 26th mm -hmm. at the, um, Hudson. And first thing, of course, what a miracle of birth. And then the second thing I thought, and I almost got teary-eyed, okay, you're $76,000 in debt, Hudson, pay up. The deficit, we're the only people that talk about that. It goes on and on. So I'm telling you, I will be the first president of our country to actually send power back, presidential power back to Congress, send presidential power back to the states, back to the people, because it's our government. If it's not working, it's our fault. So join Judge Jim Gray and Larry Sharp, Gray Sharp, Gray Sharp 2020, and .com, and we will do you proud. Judge Gray, uh, Congressman Amash. Thanks, and thanks to the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for hosting this debate. I'm Justin Amash. I'm the congressman for the 3rd District of Michigan, and I recently became the first Libertarian congressman in the history of Congress uh, when I switched my affiliation recently. I live here just outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, with my wife, Kara, and our three kids, and uh, they're doing their very best to stay uh, quiet during this evening. Uh, but I, I love spending time here with my family, and that's been the one uh, nice thing about being at home during this, this long period of time. I'm running to protect people's rights. I think that's the fundamental issue here and what the uh, Libertarian Party is focused on and what we need to be focused on as candidates for office. When I first started running for office uh, for State House, I thought that the Republican Party could be an outlet, uh, a platform for spreading the message of liberty. And I served in the State House for one term and I've served in Congress for nine years. And what I've discovered during that time is that uh, these two parties, uh, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are broken beyond repair. I don't think we can get them back in order anytime soon. And they really need a strong competitor. And that strong competitor is the Libertarian Party. I do believe that right now there is an opportunity like no other for the Libertarian Party to come in and challenge these two other parties. Libertarians believe in the individual and the value of the individual. And we as a, a party believe in that. And that's also a fundamental belief that is core to the American experience. So I want to be the candidate who unites the party, who brings people together from all sides and can spread that message of liberty to Americans from all walks of life. And I've had experience doing that. I'll uh, continue to fight for that. And I'll continue to stand with this party uh, to grow the party for the years to come. So uh, I want to thank you for having us here tonight for this debate and uh, enjoy the night. Uh, Mr. Hornberger. I'm Jacob Hornberger. I grew up on a farm on the Rio Grande in South Texas. got a law degree at the University of Texas, and I've been involved in the libertarian movement for some 30 years. I'm entering this race for one simple reason. I want to live in a free society. I want everyone to live in a free society. I want to restore liberty that both conservatives and progressives have destroyed in this country. I consider conservatism to be as morally bankrupt of a philosophy as progressivism. Conservatives say they're pro-life, but they're pro-death when it comes to the people of Iran who they target with evil sanctions. They, uh, they claim their favor of limited government, but they favor the national security state a totalitarian form of government structure with omnipotent dark side powers. Even the libertarian leaning conservative members of Congress have websites that direct children 
to the website of the CIA, the most evil agency in U.S. history. Conservatives love free enterprise, but have long supported the evil, immoral, socialist, central planning, Republican, Democratic system of immigration controls, which has brought death and suffering to countless people, as well as a brutal police state consisting of highway checkpoints and other initiations of force against innocent people. Conservatives decry welfare, (laughs) but as we found out, these conservatives also have their own little welfare plans consisting of $1,200 checks to every American every month as a way to pander and buy votes from people the way Democrats and Republicans always do, with money that is stolen from everyone by the Internal Revenue Service, another evil agency that is near and dear to the hearts of both progressives and conservatives. Conservatives decry socialism, but they are the most ardent supporters of Social Security. Chris, I'm going to use one minute of my bonus time to extend. Conservatives decry socialism, but they're the most ardent supporters of Social Security, public schooling, Medicare, income taxation, and other socialist programs, all of which are based on the initiation of force. Don't get me wrong. Conservatives love to reform, but reform of tyranny is not freedom. Freedom is the dismantling of tyranny. Our philosophy, the philosophy of libertarianism, is the only philosophy that is consistent with religious, moral, and economic principles. It shrines the individual and conscience and choice as sovereign in society and brings peace, prosperity, harmony, and health. In this election, libertarian party members are asked to trade away our principles for a conservative, progressive, libertarian mush, all for the sake of big publicity and the hopes of garnering votes. If we make that trade, we become like them. We become conservatives and progressives. We become the party of expediency. We are the party of principle. I say we keep it that way. Thank you, Mr. Hormiter. Um, Vermin Supreme. Vermin? Uh, yes. Uh, my name is Vermin Supreme. I am, in fact, a living meme. And I am also a libertarian. And I am seeking the libertarian nomination. I am a internationally recognized, highly respected political satirist, activist, and performer. For over 30 years, I have been using humor and satire as a successful anti-authoritarian communication strategy to mock and delegitimize the duopoly. This has allowed me to reach an audience across the political spectrum of tens of millions around the globe and earn free media across the flat earth. This method of mine has given me a level of notoriety and a level of reach that allows me to make this legitimate offer of my services as a candidate to the Libertarian Party. Can we use humor as a weapon against the duopoly? I say yes. Can we use humor and satire as a tool of outreach? I say yes. Can we use it as a tool for education and recruitment and to spread liberty? I say yes. Now, can the Libertarian Party put up a wacky entertainer and not be accused of being a joke party? I say yes. It is all in the framing. It is owning the joke. It is being in on the joke. Yes, we are a serious party with serious ideals and a platform for America. However, to be quite honest, the duopoly presidential electoral system has risen to the level of a joke. And with love in spite, and here's the pivot, here's Vermin Supreme. Hashtag in on the joke. The Libertarian Party is being given a choice of two very different time streams this year. 
Will it consist of the most amazing, outrageous, over-the-top, educational, informational, entertaining, and dare I say, legendary campaign that this country has ever seen? Or will it be something a little more staid? Delegate, Thank you. the choice is yours. Dr. Jorgensen. I'm Dr. Joe Jorgensen, and I'm running for president because government is too big, too bossy, too nosy, and usually hurts the very people they claim they're going to help. I'm a senior lecturer at Clemson University, and you might remember me as Harry Brown's 1996 running mate. We were on the ballot in all 50 states. I've actually been involved in the Libertarian Party since 1979. I'd first like to thank the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for sponsoring this debate, and I'd also like to thank Representative Amash for changing his congressional affiliation to the Libertarian Party and joining us tonight. And I'm looking forward to hearing how you intend to present libertarian ideas to the nation. For instance, would you use your authority as commander-in-chief to end our involvement in foreign wars, stop subsidizing the defense of wealthy allies, and bring our troops home? I will. Would you pardon, use your pardon power to free people convicted of exposing government corruption, violating unconstitutional laws, or committing so-called crimes when there's no victim? I will. Would you immediately stop construction on President Trump's border wall boondoggle and work to eliminate quotas on immigration so that anyone who wishes to come to America could do so legally? I will. And last, where do you stand on one of the most divisive issues in America, abortion? Do you support the Libertarian Party platform? I do. It's not enough to be better than Trump or Biden. Our nominee must be deeply principled with a long commitment to our party. We must be able to communicate libertarian ideas in a way that non-libertarians will understand and show the benefits of bold libertarian proposals. I am that candidate, and I'm asking you for your support and nomination. JOJ2020.com. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Um, here's our next question. Uh, what will you do and commit to doing to support down-ticket candidates as nominee in 2020? and help grow the LP party as the nominee in 2020? And also, will you make the same commitment if you're unsuccessful in obtaining the nomination? Uh, Dr. Jorgensen, the question goes to you first. Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that I will commit to sharing data in real time. In fact, my campaign manager and I presented a proposal to the LNC in Reno uh, earlier this year. Unfortunately, in the last three uh, presidential campaigns. We have had promises to receive data, but they have not shared the data. So unfortunately, we have not gotten all that information on donors, supporters, and media uh, personnel that is critical to helping the Libertarian Party. Also, while running for office, I would share my research with anyone who's running for U.S. House or U.S. Senate so that they wouldn't be blindsided by any uh, questions such as Aleppo. We would share that data with them. Also, I would bring attention to the party and speak in a way 
and bring up issues that the American voters are interested in and not just the issues that libertarians have traditionally been interested in. By getting the Libertarian Party idea out there and showing Americans how we've got the best option out there, we can bring more people into the party. And by bringing more people into the party, we've got more candidates for all levels, state, local, federal. We've got more supporters, more donors, more people knocking on doors. In 1994, in 1996, Harry Brown and I doubled the size of the party, which is the largest growth that the party has ever had in its history. By doing so, we were able to start a movement. Yes, votes are important. However, the votes will go away after an election. In order to have a lasting effect, we have to grow the party. And that's my commitment to do what I did before in 1996. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Uh, Judge Gray, you're next. Judge, you're muted. Judge Jim Gray have been doing that for years. We've made thousands of dollars for down ballot candidates. Uh, we will continue to do that. And by the way, you know, I was a Senate candidate for the U.S. Senate back in 2004. And David Nolan was active on my campaign. I've been active on other people's campaigns as well. It's critically important. We will give you a leader president, vice presidential candidate. We're bringing a campaign you can be proud of. We're going to make accessibility to libertarianism all throughout the country. They will see, oh yes, I too am a libertarian. I want more. We want to elect someone to the water district, to the assembly, to the city council. This is what we do. We bring their eyes open and spread that culture so that people all throughout the country will see, wait a minute, I, too, am a libertarian. We will do that, showing all of these various people that they are constituents as well. The military and their families, not going to send them to war. The aged, the, the sick, we're going to reduce the cost of health care. They're going to see all of these things. People who are who failed, who are, have their children being failed in public schools, will see that, oh, school choice, charter schools, homeschooling. This is so important that we're the only game in town. We will legitimize all of these things, help the down-ballot candidates all the way along, just like Larry Sharp and Judge Jim Gray have been doing for years. It's an important thing, and we're committed to it. All right. Congressman Amash. Thanks. This campaign can't be about just one individual. It has to be a team effort. We have to grow the party, and that also includes supporting the nominee of the party, uh, no matter who it is. It, of this group, we have to support that nominee. But I'm going to spend all of my time and effort bringing attention to the party, trying to grow this movement, trying to bring people in, because if I don't have people down ballot as a nominee supporting the efforts and also winning and succeeding, then I can't succeed at the top. So it's an important team effort. I will share resources. I will travel around the country to spend time with candidates. I think that's critically important. I will do everything I can as a congressman to bring attention to the issues of this party. I will spend time on the media because I will get a lot of media attention as a member of Congress, bringing attention to this party and the message of the party. I think that's critically important. And uh, that's something I'm very committed to doing throughout this campaign and for years to come. It's important that it not just be a one cycle effort. It has to be an effort over many years. I believe there is a path to victory in this election at the presidential level. But we need to fight for many years to come because the LP needs to be a strong competitor to the other two parties, and we need to knock them off their pedestal. I think that there's a chance to do that, and it's going to be a team effort for many years. Thanks. Thank you, Congressman. Mr. Hornberger. 
I think the cardinal sin of any campaign is to run a boring campaign. And for me, any campaign that's oriented toward just reforming the tyranny under which we suffer is a boring campaign. That, you know, we're, we're talking about a conservative type campaign, uh, reformed education, uh, vouchers, health savings accounts, surveillance reform, privatization of Social Security, reform, 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 because these conservatives have thrown in the towel on achieving a free society. Our philosophy, the libertarian philosophy, is the most glorious philosophy in history. I mean, our, our, our weapons, our principles, our ideals are our greatest weapon. That's what gets me going. That's what gets me excited. And I think that's the only thing that can get people excited. You, you first of all, you need an excited base. And, and the, the libertarian movement, the libertarian party, gets excited over libertarian principles, not these conservative reform measures that accept the permanence of the welfare warfare state way of life. What we've got to do is we've got to have some libertarian leadership. That, that raises people's vision to a higher level, the same way they did when they were drafting the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. We've got to get people to start thinking about what does it mean to be free? Is freedom just reform tyranny or is freedom involved with the dismantling of infringements on freedom? And once we start getting Americans to think at that level, now you've got some excitement building because now you're talking about liberty rather than some kind of reformed over, warmed over Tea Party type tyranny. And when we get people thinking at that level, all of a sudden that excitement starts building and that has the effect on down ticket uh, people. So you, you're not looking at endorsing them. What you're looking at is an exciting campaign that revolves around liberty that then inures to their benefit because people in America are getting excited about that. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, Mr. Supreme. Uh, well, yes, I, I have been uh, very lucky because I have been able to uh, – utilize my reach and celebrity to uh, shill for a, a number of libertarian candidates, uh, putting them out of my social uh, media network and what have you. Um, I have certainly been used personally as a draw for uh, various political events and uh, gone so far as to actually uh, phone in to uh, morning drive time radio uh, shows in order to uh, shill for, for a candidate. Uh, but now would be a, a great time, I think, to uh, make a, a grand announcement. I, I would like to unveil uh, my new uh, project, uh, my team has put it on. It's called Disrupt the Vote, disruptthevote.com. And uh, come and check it out. And we are offering resources and uh, sharing the message of uh, uh, non-duopoly candidates. And that, that's our main focus, to be able to uh, help and aid uh, non-duopoly. And I guess you could refer to them as down-ballot uh, candidates, if you wish. So, yes, uh, check that out and uh, wish us luck. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Um, the next, we'll now move to another uh, or current event section of this debate. Uh, this is the question. There have been a great deal of angst and protests recently about the ID 19 restrictions in addition to federal constitutional lawsuits. Some of those protests have involved armed individuals. All of those protests have involved people not practicing social distancing. As the LP nominee, do you support these, as the LP nominee, or if you are the LP nominee, do you support these protesters' right to assemble? to file lawsuits, to open carry? And do you agree with their message and their efforts to stop these restrictions? Or do you support some or all of the government restrictions uh, from the coronavirus? Uh, the question will first go to Mr. Supreme. Um, well, yes, uh, naturally, I always uh, support the right of the people to their constitutional rights of assembly and uh, free speech. 
Um, of course, they're certainly protected uh, to uh, be armed at this protest in situations where they are. Um, the not wearing masks things, the, the, the denial of the uh, of virology and uh, how this uh, particular virus disease is transmitted is, is certainly troubling. Uh, it concerns me. Um, of course, there is uh, so much that is still unfolding as we speak. Uh, we, we are reaching the acceleration uh, phase of the pandemic, from what I understand. Uh, so the, the um, it's certainly not over yet. Uh, of course, I totally uh, believe that people should be able to get outside. And I think a lot of these restrictions uh, in terms of like closing down parks and, and closing down beaches and places where people could uh, uh, safely socially distance. Um, I think it's uh, that uh, a little bit of overreach for sure. And uh, I believe that uh, most reasonable people uh, look at the uh, medical and scientific offerings that is being put out by the, uh, and that best practices are certainly uh, about the best thing to follow. And uh, when I am outside, I do wear a mask and I do maintain social distancing and um, all of these things. And uh, if you can afford to, uh, to uh, isolate, I would say so, yes. And uh, if not, then you have, a, of course, a very serious uh, concern uh, about your ability to continue your lifestyle. And so it's a, it's a very tough situation that we as a country find ourselves in uh, right now, trying to uh, balance uh, all, of these, all of these things. Uh, but I say definitely wash your hands, uh, wear a mask, and please uh, practice social distancing. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme. Dr. Jorgensen. Absolutely, I support the right for people to gather and the right for them to carry weapons. What you've done is you've just listed the first two amendments, which are very important. Absolutely, as President of the United States, I would defend all of the Constitution. What the government has done is given us a one size fits all and like everything else, one size does not fit all. We've just had an assault on our liberty that we haven't seen in our lifetime. People being told to stay at home, not able to go out and work, not able to support their children and not able to have a, any kind of family life. And what's sad is that this is one more example in which the, the government created a problem and now they've got to go on on and, and in trying to fix that problem, they create 10 more problems. For instance, we've got certificate of need laws in which the number of hospitals and number of clinics are artificially held down. We've got strict quotas on how many doctors and nurses are allowed to graduate and practice. So what the government does is they hold down the number of services and then we get a virus and the government says, well, we don't have enough services, so you all have to stay home because we don't have the hospital beds or the doctors and nurses to take care of you. So once again, the government just fails us. As president, I would restore these liberties. I would change, I first of all, I would like to get rid of the FDA, but what Trump could have done and what needs to be done is some kind of emergency powers act in which we get rid of the efficacy law and only go by the safety law so that we can get testing kits out there immediately. If people are tested and we know who's had the virus and who hasn't, we know who can go out and safely go to jobs and meet with people and who needs to stay at home. But once again, the government keeps us in the dark through their policies. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Uh, Judge Gray. 
Chris, this is one of the really critical times where we can see the difference between the Republican Democratic approach and the libertarian approach. The government has failed us. Let me count the ways. First of all, they were caught totally flat-footed. Yes, government should plan for emergencies, earthquakes, hurricanes, pandemics, because once they occur, it's too late. They failed us on that. And then what they do? The politicians acted politically. Oh, big surprise, no libertarian courage. What did they do? Oh, I'm going to do everything I can to keep you healthy. Okay, so I'm gonna cost you your job, cost tens of millions of jobs along the way, unnecessarily closing hundreds of thousands of businesses. This is outrageous and an enormous harm. But look, if you're then healthy through all of this, I'm a hero, I was successful. And if you get sick, oh, well, you can't blame me because I did everything I could. The businesses, the governments did not consider, wasn't even a part of the, of the equation. What you do is the libertarian way. You allow the people to decide, the manager or owner of a shop, I can advertise, hey, I have a new air filtration system. We're going to keep our social distancing. No one allowed in here without a mask. I have a small shop, only eight people in at a time. We're going to protect our customers, protect our employees, and in, fa in fact, I would even take your temperature outside before you come in and then let the customer decide. We are a customer-driven government or procedure. The problem is now they're continuing this idiotic approach to it because now they're centrally planning. The government decides when we open the economy again. The government can't do that. They can't run an economy. It's the people. It's the free market system that does this, and it's the pricing system and the customers. So the answer to your questions are yes, yes, yes. Even as a judge, there comes a time if they're having us do something in conflict with our constitution, we should protest, we should defy, and we, Ray Sharp hereby, I pledge allegiance to the Constitution of the United States of America, and this will bring our freedoms back. Thanks, Judge Gray. Congressman Amash. The right of the people to keep and bear arms and the right to protest, these are fundamental rights, and the government can't take away these rights and can't infringe on these rights, and um, no government authority should be coming after people who are exercising those rights. People should practice social distancing. We're getting uh, health guidelines on that, and people should practice social distancing and be careful in times of a pandemic. But we need to make sure that we are restoring power to the people, that people make the decisions, that we don't have a government telling everyone exactly how to manage every situation. The businesses on one side of the state may be in a very different situation than businesses on another side of the state. And we, we see that here in Michigan. It doesn't make sense to have a one-size-fits-all approach. We have to trust the people to make decisions using the knowledge that they have. And I'm confident that with people informed about the risks of COVID-19 and the, the risks of spreading it, they will make the decision to be careful. And businesses will want to make the decision to be careful as well, to protect not only their employees, but also the people who come into their place of business. So Let's let people make these decisions. Not let's not have it at the at the governmental level. Uh, certainly not at the state and federal level. Federal and state governments can provide guidelines. They can provide recommendations. They can help uh, bring healthcare entities together to provide recommendations. But they shouldn't be imposing on the people a one size fits all approach. We need to allow people to make decisions. In the state of Michigan, we had a governor who said uh, you couldn't buy seeds in a store, even though you could buy other things. So you have to just rope off certain aisles. So we have to change the way we do that. Thank you, Congressman. Um, the next question uh, will go to Mr. Hornberger. Mr. Hornberger? 
Yeah, whenever I hear a libertarian using the word that the government should allow, I get real concerned about that because allow and freedom are opposites. When you've got the fundamental God-given right to liberty, you don't need permission to do anything from the government. Of course, the First and Second Amendment uh, should be respected and honor these rights. They're pre-exist government. They're, they're God-given rights. I would have put the Second Amendment first because without the Second Amendment, the First Amendment is worthless. But look, for 30 years, we've had this system that conservatives have put into place that's based on central planning, based on socialism with Medicare and Medicaid, and they've believed in the system. All they do is call for reform. I, I, I know that these libertarian-leaning conservatives, what are their reforms? Health savings accounts, vouchers, health care vouchers. 30 years ago, I published a book at my foundation called The Dangers of Socialized Medicine, where we call for a total separation of healthcare in the state. The repeal all Medicare and Medicaid, Centers for Disease Control, FDA, which, by the way, the party platform in 1990, when I joined the party, also stipulated this is the only solution to this, getting government totally out. When you see these shortages of masks and, and ventilators and, and testing kits, this is central planning. This is what conservatives and progressives have brought us. And then there's the, the perfect storm with the economic system. Look at the welfare state that Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and progressives have, have brought us. Massive income taxation that has taken tons of money out of people's pockets, leaving them with no savings. Look at millions of people that don't even have a nest egg to get through one or two months. We have to raise people's vision to a new level, to build the foundation of a free, prosperous, healthy society. And that means new systems, not just getting better people in public office to manage this system, better systems, systems based on freedom in the free market. question uh, is this. There has been a, a great deal, and this is going to a little bit of a repeat, uh, but we have a lot of viewers tonight that want to hear the answer to this. There's been a great deal of accusations recently between Trump and Biden about the White House's coronavirus response, that we responded too late, that we did not take enough action, that the president should have exercised the Defense Production Act sooner to take over private business, that he should have closed the borders earlier, that he should have closed the borders not at all, if you were asked by a national media outlet to comment, what would you say about the White House's coronavirus response and what would you have done differently? The question first goes to Mr. Hornberger. Well, you see, this is classic. I mean, this is classic conservatism and progressivism, arguing that Trump is a poor central planner. Well, well, he is. But you see, the problem is not getting a better central planner. What I keep arguing and what I've been stressing for 30 years is you've got a bad system. It doesn't matter if you put a libertarian in charge of it. A bad system is going to always win out. A good system is our heritage of free markets. I mean, look, look what central planning does. I've already mentioned the shortages. Look at the politicians running around like chickens with their heads cut off in this crisis. And look at their little dictatorial tendencies coming out with mayors and governors. I mean, you've got little mini dictators. And so what happens when their central planning system fails as it failed in the Soviet Union? They turn to tyranny, massive shutdowns, massive lockdowns, arrests, incarceration. I mean, this is classic central planning and tyranny. What we need is a different system. That's what I've been arguing about for 30 years. Reject all these conservative reforms of health savings accounts and health vouchers and all this reform nonsense. Let's make the case to the American people for an entirely different system, a free market healthcare system, a free market economic system. 
where people keep everything they earn and they decide what to do with it, where charity is 100% voluntary. Oh, by the way, that was our system. That's our heritage in America for the first hundred years. And it was the most charitable society in history. We've got to recapture that sense of, of faith and freedom and free markets and get rid of this faith in the coercive apparatus of government. It's the only way out of this crisis. My message to the American people is if you like this system, stick with Biden or Trump, doesn't matter. You're going to get the same thing. You want out of this crisis, join up with us libertarians because we will bring you liberty, peace, prosperity, and harmony. And we're the only ones he can do it because of our system that we want to establish, a system of freedom and free markets. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. The next question will be to Mr. Supreme. Mr. Supreme? Um, well, I would say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I would point out that, of course, this uh, uh, pandemics have been uh, on the horizon and uh, been predicted and uh, on the models for uh, for all to see for quite some time. And uh, also, of course, that the uh, just once again, the, the regulatory structure of the government that uh, allowed us to uh, allowed them to uh, block all testing, the, the creation and cheap and easy uh, manufacture of testing, which would have fully allowed us to have a, a much better grasp on uh, on the disease in, in America and the, the progression of the disease. Uh, it certainly uh, would have allowed us to uh, respond a lot more uh, smartly and, and efficiently, having a, a better clue as to how many Americans were infected and uh, tracing back. Uh, I think it really just goes down to the simple fact that the government is ill-prepared to save you. It cannot protect you, and we need to do things in another way, and that is certainly to uh, do it without the government's uh, uh, alleged help, perhaps, or, or their insane intervention that ultimately uh, harms the people. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen. There are two major differences between my approach and what Trump has done and the White House. First of all, testing. I was appalled when I saw uh, President Trump say you should only get tested if you have symptoms. Uh, maybe he didn't keep up with how things were going, but it turns out that at least 60 and up to 80 percent of people who had the virus are asymptomatic. That means people could be walking around thinking they're fine, uh, meeting with older people, meeting with people with uh, compromised immune systems and passing along a disease that they don't even know they have. That was horrible advice for the president to give, to not get tested unless you have any kind of symptom. The other part of the getting tested is that the FDA kept blocking testing. There were over 60 companies in our country making testing kits, and the FDA originally only allowed two of them to, to be sold. So what about the other companies? Well, they're sending testing kits all around the world, so the rest of the world gets the benefit of American ingenuity, and we don't. The other thing I strongly disagree with is the spending. Uh, the White House, congressmen, government, they will look for any excuse to spend money. Bureaucrats are incompetent at knowing where the money needs to go. Only the free market can do that. As president, I would first stop the bailouts 
And then secondly, I get repayment wherever possible. What they're doing now is they're just setting up a long recovery session, just like we had in 2008 after we bailed out the banks. So it's the same thing all over again. Once again, government, the people that they purport that they're trying to help, they're actually hurting and they're making things worse. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Congressman Amash. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait, uh, Judge Gray. Judge Gray. Okay, well, thank you. Chris, I, I was a judge for 25 years, as I said. I was trained to listen, trained to evaluate, trained to consider, and then make a decision and act upon it. What we saw here was just back and forth. Oh, wear a mask. Well, you don't have to. It's, it's not to protect you. It's to protect the other people. Oh, no, really. No. What you do is you set up a system to get accurate information out into the marketplace. What is the best system? The free enterprise system, the testers, the doctors. Mr. Trump, would somebody disagreed with him, he'd fire him. That's crazy. As well as then, you get into this free to try, like we were talking. The FDA put a throttle on being able to inquire into this, to investigate into this, to come up with testing kits, to come up with vaccinations. And then they had the audacity to start saying who could be in business and who could not. And then they sent out all of this money you know, the Department of the Treasury, the secretary, had a slush fund of $500 billion of our tax money? No. Favoritism. You're probably aware. The Kennedy Center in D.C. received something on the order of $15 million. Someone had the audacity to ask why. Well, because they were harmed, because they had to close. Of course they were. What about all of the other theaters in the, in the country? So it's arbitrary. You let the people decide. Give the people a provision to understand what's going on, give them honest information, and then they can allow it. They can act upon it. Everything is different from a different perspective. The government should not be involved in this other than setting up accurate information into the marketplace and then let the people decide. It's pretty straightforward. All right. Thank you, Judge Gray. Uh, Congressman Amash. Thanks. The government massively failed here. The FDA and CDC prevented uh, testing from happening uh, early enough. And that was because of the regulations that were in place, which slowed everything down so that uh, private labs couldn't get tests out. You had uh, the government coming in with this relief package and deciding that instead of getting relief directly to the people very quickly, they were going to spend trillions of dollars on a convoluted scheme that spread money around to uh, different entities and different programs, sent money through the Federal Reserve to large corporations uh, through a, essentially a corporate welfare fund. These are all bad ideas. And then you have the president who vacillates from day to day. And I think that's really dangerous. Not only is his administration vacillating, but he vacillates from day to day. One day he says, everything's fine. The next day he says, everything's terrible. There is uh, no confidence that the American people have in its leadership right now. And that's really dangerous and really detrimental and really polarizing. It, it splits people up at a time when we have to work together in a, in a voluntary system, working together to prevent this virus from spreading. And you don't have that when you have a president who is misleading people. And that's also that also goes to people in his administration who would tell you one day that uh, you don't need to wear a mask. Masks are a bad idea. Don't wear the mask. And the next day they're telling you everyone needs a mask. And it seems like the reason they did it was to uh, protect their own people and pre prevent uh, an overrun rather than just telling us the truth and being honest with the American people. Thank you, Congressman. Um, here's our next question. Assuming that you are not successful in your campaign for president, 
or your nomination for uh, the Libertarian Party nomination, do you commit to supporting the eventual nominee of the LP, no matter who it is? Would you be interested in running for vice president? Why or why not to each? And finally, if not, why should your fellow candidates support you if you're successful, given that you've disrespected the judgment and decision of the party's voting delegates? Uh, the first um, question goes to Congressman Amash. Yes, as I said earlier, I will support the nominee of the party. Uh, I think that's critically important. We have to be united as a party. And I joined the party to help grow the party. That, that's the mission here. It's not just about one campaign. It's about growing the party and making it a strong competitor for years to come. I really believe we have an opportunity to be not just a third party anymore, but a major party, a party that can compete with the other two parties and actually defeat the other two parties. So I'm here for uh, growing the party, for spreading the message of liberty, and I will be here to do that regardless of the outcome of this nomination. Uh, right now, my focus is on the presidential run. I haven't thought at all about uh, vice presidential run, but I'm here and committed to the party. I, I want to run to be your presidential nominee, and uh, I will support the nominee of the party. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, Mr. Hornberger. I cannot make that commitment unconditionally. I, I've always held that conscience reigns supreme over every decision. And, the, you know, whether my conscience is violated by a particular candidate's position would have to depend at the time how I felt about that. And I'm not interested in the vice presidential nomination. I want the nomination of this party. Um, I, I think it's important to point out that Congressman Amash uh, you know, criticizes this big bailout plan, but he forgot to mention that what he calls limited government is uh, another welfare plan that's no different from from Democrat Andrew Yang's plan with his little twelve hundred dollars a family or a person, every American citizen, four hundred dollars for children. Where does he think this money's coming from? I mean, did he think that? I mean, there you're talking about a trillion dollars right there if you go six months which they're anticipating this crisis to go. Where is this money coming from? Does the government have it under their bed? This is money extracted from the Internal Revenue Service through force from everybody. Government is the great fictitious entity, as Bastiat said, where everybody's trying to live at the expense of everyone else. Or it's borrowed, adding another trillion dollars to the national debt, which all American citizens are responsible for. Or you get the Federal Reserve that's printing money like it was going out of style. What, regardless of how you shake a stick at it, this notion of free money, whether it's Andrew Yang or a conservative or a libertarian-leaning conservative, it violates our core principle, the non-aggression principle. It violates everything libertarians stand for. People have a right to keep everything they earn, and they decide for the, themselves what to do with it. And it's not the role of government to take care of people. That's a progressive notion. That's a conservative notion. It is not a libertarian notion. Libertarianism stands for the right of people to be free to manage their own lives, where charity is 100% voluntary. Thank you, sir. Uh, Congressman Amash, you used a rebuttal card, sir. One minute. Yeah, I, I agree with those principles. But we are in a situation right now, there is time to talk about those principles and change the, sim the system and prevent this kind of thing happening going forward. So it's important that we do make the right changes so that we don't have to borrow money and do the other things that Congress is doing right now. But Congress is filled right now with Republicans and Democrats who are going to spend trillions of dollars. And if money is going to go out the door 
and the public is behind that, then the important thing to do as a congressman is ensure that it goes out in the most efficient way possible. And the most libertarian, most efficient way possible is to get it directly to the people and get government out of the way. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, Mr. Supreme, the next uh, this question is to you next. Yes, the, the same question. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, well, in the off chance that I'm not the nominee, um, I have indeed uh, stated that I will continue to work with the uh, the party and support uh, the candidates. Um, I have certainly offered my services uh, as an entertainer uh, to do uh, opening act type of uh, things, if you will, uh, on our uh, LP tour, if that uh, happens. And of course, uh, it, it, back to uh, disruptthevote.com, uh, where I, we are offering help to uh, all uh, anti anti-duopoly candidates, I guess. And uh, I will, of course, uh, continue uh, to recruit on behalf of the Libertarian Party. Uh, as far as the uh, vice presidency, um, th there are just a lot of candidates who have been uh, working uh, and uh, running and uh, uh, debating uh, as vice presidential candidates for uh, quite a while now. And I don't believe it would necessarily be fair to them uh, to do so. But uh, thank you very much. I'm Vermin Supreme. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen. Sorry, can you tell me, uh, repeat the third part of the three-part question? <laughs> you muted yourself, Chris. Uh, if you are not supportive of, of, of the eventual LP nominee, um, no matter who it is, and you're, you're not interested in running for vice president, um, why should your fellow candidates support you, and, okay. given that you've disrespected the judgment and decision of the party's voting delegates? Okay, thank you for that. So, of course, I will support whoever the nominee is. I have voted for the Libertarian presidential candidate every time since I voted for Ed Clark in 1980. I don't see any reason why that would change this year. The delegates usually do a very good job of getting it right, so I would be able to support them, um, support whoever it is. As far as running for VP, I'm really not thinking about VP. I'm very focused on the presidential race. I wouldn't be running if I didn't think that I were the best candidate. I would like to mention, though, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're the VP candidate, you really have to share a lot of the um, ideas and principles of the presidential candidate because the vice presidential candidate is often put on the spot for asking, and, and in my case, it was, well, Harry Brown believes in this. You know, can you please explain that? Or why does Harry Brown suggest this? So if you are a vice presidential candidate, you really need to support the presidential candidate. And uh, it was very easy for me to support Harry Brown because we both shared the ideals of being principled, going by the platform while at the same time being practical. So I'm not going to say that I would be the VP candidate regardless, no matter what, but I wouldn't rule it out. So I would say that I have always been there for the Libertarian Party. I've always supported the presidential candidate and I will do whatever I can. And I'm sure I will uh, help out the uh, delegates in a way that they would be pleased. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Uh, Judge Gray. Well, that's an easy question to answer, Chris. Uh, I will support, I will campaign for the eventual nominee. As far as the vice president, my candidate for that is Larry Sharp. I think he'd be a superb vice president. But to grow the party, I, I was in Peace Corps, like I said, and in Peace Corps training, I learned an important lesson, which is people will not change their actions, their thoughts, or their votes 
unless they have what they call a felt need. It has to come from within. They have to say, oh, yes, this would be better for me and my family and my country. So the way you do that is to show them, not radically, but you show them how things can be better. Yes, the tax system is a mess. It's awful. Well, but let's bring in programs that make it less awful. So then they will see, oh, yes, these, these people know what they're doing. The libertarian way is the better way. We have the same principles, but we work at it more gradually. Because unfortunately, if you go for your, what I kind of call purity points, you'll, 10 years from now, even five years from now, you won't be better off shape than you are right now. I want to be in better shape five and 10 years from now. So yes, I do want school vouchers. Yes, I do want a change, getting the institute, the IRS out of our lives, much, much more. And then we can continue it that way. So you grow the party by not scaring people, but by showing them that felt need, hey, we can make things better for our children. A little bit, now a little bit more and more. That's the way you grow. That's the way you get bigger. And uh, and that's what I support. Okay. Thank you, Judge Gray. Um, we're going to go ahead and move to the next question, uh, which is... Yeah. Uh, for libertarians, particularly in the presidential run, the magic numbers have always been 15% for inclusion in the uh, uh, debates, 5% um, for federal matching funds, and 3 and 2% for ballot access in states. And my question to each candidate is, do you see your campaign hitting any of these numbers? If so, which? How will you do about doing it? And finally, will you commit to sharing any voter or donor data with the national party to help grow that party? Um, the question first goes to Judge Gray. Yes, um, I have a plan. I have not been bashful about it. We know we cannot compete at the moment with the tens of millions of dollars, for example, in, with, in, Republican, uh, in the Republican state of Texas or with the Democratic state of New York or California. What we're going to do is find five small independent states and we're going to flood them with our resources. Larry Sharp and I will spend a great deal of time there. We will go up to those voters, independent, and say, look, your vote will change history. If we win your state, we win 38, 40% of the, of the vote. If we start getting there, then it will have coattail effects around the rest of the country. Certainly, if the New York Times or ABC News wants to interview us, we will, but we're going to start actually winning a few states. If we were to do that, win two or three small states, probably defying Biden and Trump of the Electoral College majority, it goes to the House of Representatives. No Republican will vote for the Democrat Biden. No Democrat will vote for the Republican Trump, but there's, they have to select among the top three candidates. We can win this election. I tell people with conviction, we have a good solid 3.7% chance of winning this election. But even if we don't, can you imagine what would happen? The revolution, if the Libertarian Party were to win one state, it would go, be there forever. All these blue states, these, these red states, wait, what's that gold state? That's important too. And they will start growing the party that way. We'll get our 5%. By the way, the 15%, that's a different topic. The so-called Commission on Presidential Debates has the whole thing rigged. So if we were to make 15%, they just change it to 20. <laughs> all right, Congressman Mosh. Thanks. Yes, I intend to hit all of those thresholds. And I think it's important that we run a national campaign, not just a state by state campaign. The problem with the state by state approach is that candidates tend to do pretty well in one state. And you've seen this in previous elections where uh, maybe an independent candidate or a third party candidate does very well in one part of the country and then very poorly in the rest of the country. And it makes very little difference overall. I don't think the goal here should be to deny 
the Electoral College to the other two candidates, the Republican and, and Democratic candidates. The goal should be to win the election. And to win that election, you have to win it outright in the Electoral College, not by denying Electoral College votes and hoping that something happens in, uh, in Congress to give you the, the victory. So I will run a national strategy. I will support candidates down ballot and across the country. I will support the Libertarian Party and share the data and information that we can gather so that the Libertarian Party can grow. I think that that is really important because, as I said, this can't be about one candidate. It has to be about an entire movement, a group of people working together to spread the message of liberty and, and the, the rights of the people. And we can't do that just as one candidate at a time or one state at a time. We have to do it all together on a national level. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, the next, uh, the question next goes to Mr. Hornberger. Mr. Hornberger? Yeah, when I first joined the party in 1990, an LP activist from California asked me to join the platform committee. And I said, no. I said, this is a political party and it's just going to be watering down its principles for the sake of votes. And he said, have you ever read the party platform? And I said, no, I don't need to. He says, let me send it to you. And I read this thing and it was a libertarian manifesto. It was incredible. Abolish Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, taxation, the whole thing. I called him up and I said, man, if you'll still have me, it would be an honor. I didn't ask him what our vote totals were. I didn't ask him how many members of the party that we had. It didn't matter. What mattered to me was this was a special party. This was a unique party, a party that adheres to principle, regardless of the political consequences. I want this party to be restored to that, that, that sense of let's look at our principles and then let the votes total work out however they work out. We're at being asked in this campaign to trade our principles for the sake of a conservative, progressive, libertarian mush that, that involves the, 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 the promulgation of principles that, that are not libertarian, like this idea of this welfare package called limited government. I mean, that's not what we're about. We're about liberty and principles. This is our greatest asset, that the party of principle, what does that mean? And, and if we're going to just trade it, what happens? We become like them. We become like conservatives and progressives. We, 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 we become the party of expediency. I say we are the party of principle. Let's restore that sense. Our principles are our greatest asset. I, I say let's take them into battle. These are our swords and our shields against these Democrats and Republicans. If we become like them and just accept the premises, the permanence of the welfare, warfare, state way of life and go out and have a presidential candidate that's going to be reforming and fixing this thing, then we have lost our heart and soul as this party. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, Mr. Supreme. Yes, um, quite frankly, between you and me, uh, 15%, quite personally, I can't imagine if I am the nominee of the party that I will not get 15%. I think that's just a given if Vermin Supreme is in the, in the national polling. Now, how do I get to the 5% uh, number? Well, uh, not that the party ever would ever or accept matching funds or, uh, by the government. But let's just say there are 3.9 million high school kids that graduate every year. Give me two of those years. That's about 8 million kids. Add that to the 17 plus million college kids. That's a, a pool of 25 million. If I were able to get, if we were able to get one out of four of those kids to vote for us, it would be 6.5 million, AKA 5%. Now that does not include the over 100 million disenfranchised disillusioned, 
disgusted voters that have just given up on democracy. And it certainly doesn't include the amazing, the literally thousands of subcultures in America. Everything from uh, Comic Con people to uh, cam girls, to fan girls, to roller derby girls, to magic, the card uh, players, to cosplayers, to D&D players, to kinky sex players, to crypto enthusiasts, to Robert Rules of Orders fanatics. It all falls under the umbrella of nerd and geek culture. And these are all subcultures that I do very well with. I, I am a meme and I resonate with uh, this vast uh, number of people here in America. And I plan on reaching out to all of them and uh, seek their help. And uh, I have many inroads into many of these uh, subcultures uh, as we speak. And uh, many, of, many of them are coming our way. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen. Absolutely, I'm running to hit the numbers. You have to have a campaign with that goal. A lot of people look at the Libertarian Party as maybe an educational group or a philosophical group, and they forget that we are a political party and our reason to be here is to get votes. So absolutely, we need to be sharing that stage. Um, now, I've answered this question before uh, in one of my other uh, answers, which is absolutely I would share um, the donor information. In fact, I would go above and beyond that. First of all, I would share it real time, and that makes a big difference. We've had instances in the past where the information came in much later, and it really didn't do any good. So I would share it real time because you need to share it while the campaign is going on so that the people down ballot can use that information during that race, not the next race, not four years later, but immediately. Also, I would um, share not just uh, donor information or supporters, I would also share media information and do everything possible to help everybody down ballot because the presidential uh, or the presidential candidate is not the only candidate. We have to win at all levels. I would like to point out one thing though. I do disagree with um, Judge Gray as far as going after a few small states as opposed to the whole nation. In fact, my understanding is that's what Gary Johnson tried to do. And Gary Johnson was actually a two-term governor and he was unsuccessful. So if a two-term governor is unable to do it, um, I'm not sure how he would do it. I think we need to, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I, I agree with Representative Amash, we need to go after the entire country and we need to get as many votes as we can. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Um, we will now move to the individual uh, questions. And the uh, first individual question um, that we've got uh, is for Dr. Jorgensen. Um, Dr. Jordison, one of the things that you have mentioned, and I could tell you that not all of you, we're going to be talking about some of these things in a little bit, but not all of your fellow candidates agree, um, deals with the abortion plank. And I know that you're supportive of, of the national abortion plank. I can tell you that our affiliate in Kentucky uh, this year took a very neutral stance on it because we have pro-life members that believe that abortion is a violation of the non-aggression principle. And we have very pro-choice members in this particular state affiliate that believe that um, abortion is an individual right and a, and a right to decide. Uh, at every national convention, there is an effort uh, by the pro-life um, members to delete the plank. And, and my question is, um, do you believe um, that uh, that there is room in this party uh, for, for those uh, libertarians that believe that abortion is a violation of the non-aggression principle? Dr. Jorgensen. 
Absolutely, I think there's room. And in fact, I did receive a lot of flack when after the South Carolina convention, I was asked what part of the platform would I change? And now keep in mind, I did not say we should go pro-life. I did not say that. And I do not think we should have a pro-life platform. But what I would like to see is to at least have it somewhat neutral because I can't tell you how many people I've run into who said, oh, I'm, yes, I'm all about liberty. Yes, I'm about freedom. Yes, government is way too big. Yes, we need to reduce our taxes. Oh, but I can't be a libertarian because I'm pro-life. So somehow we have given the message that you are not allowed to be a libertarian if you're pro-life. And I, our, our, our party is big enough for pro-life people. We need to have the party, um, you know, what we need to do is we need to rally around the things that we agree in. And we all agree that government needs to be smaller. And if we start give, if we start putting up roadblocks and telling people, well, you can't be in the party because this, this, or this, then we're never going to grow. Now, let me quickly point out, I'm not suggesting we say what the Republicans did several years ago and say, oh, we're a big tent and we agree with all people uh, who, who disagree with our overall platform. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I want people who believe in smaller government. And yes, there is a point to be made for the non-aggression principle. But I would like to add this. If you look at what we're running on and the laws that are out there, our uh, the, the, the abortion laws are most close, are very close to what our platform is. So we don't have a long way to go with that. Uh, healthcare is hugely far away from the libertarian platform. Same with the drug laws, sex work, all of that. So I think what we need to do is we need to focus on where we need to change the laws. And right now we can leave the abortion laws as they are, and they would go just fine with the libertarian platform. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Um, Judge Gray, the next question is to you. Um, by the way, we do get these questions from a bunch of our affiliates and um, other affiliates and our members. Um, but Judge Gray, here's the question, and I, I think it's been on people's mind. Um, do you believe that Ron Nielsen manages campaigns in an effective and efficient manner, um, which shows respect to the millions of dollars he's been tasked to handle? And do you intend to hire Ron as part of your um, campaign team? Uh, Ron Nielsen has told me that he wants to have a PAC, which I favor. I think it's a great idea. But we have a really good team, Chris, and we're going to stay with that team. Uh, Ron Nielsen may, be, may very well be with all of the PACs. But I want to clear up some, some misunderstandings. Uh, Gary Johnson in 2012, when I ran with him, did not have this small state strategy. And he certainly didn't in 2016 either. And I don't either. I'm going to start with that. Larry Sharp and I will spend a great deal of time in those selected independent states. We'll build up momentum. We'll start making real progress. And then, like I said before, there will be coattails. We will start having the mainstream media elsewhere saying, yes, that is what worked. Why does it work? Well, because they believe in educating, bettering education and showing how our military troops are being misled by, by being sent into battle. I, I, we will, we will stand up for the veterans. You know, the VA, it's a, it's a huge breach of contract today. When our troops come back and they have PTSD, used to call shell shock, and they're not treated like they deserve. So we'll get our, these messages out, first of all, in a smaller forum, then we'll build up momentum, and then the rest of the states will see it. So we will get, this is a winning strategy, and I'm proud of it. This is where we should go. Great. Um, the next question is for Congressman Amash. 
Congressman Amash, um, one of the things that is uh, concerning uh, to several delegates are what they view as off-platform statements and concerns from some members of the party that you may be espousing an off-platform message, whether it's cash payments to people through coronavirus relief, um, the right to bear arms of protesters, your abortion stance, and stances that you might not be the right flag bearer uh, for the party and its ideology and your understanding of the platform. How do you respond to those concerns for the delegates that have those concerns? Well, I fully support the right to keep and bear arms. I'm a founding member of the Second Amendment Caucus. And uh, if you look at my record on uh, gun rights, I'm fully supportive, 100 percent. I back open carry. Um, sometimes I'll talk about the importance of uh, how we exercise our rights and that we're careful when we exercise our rights, because as libertarians, we believe we have the right to do things. And we also have to understand that people react to the way we exercise our rights. So it's important to exercise them in a way that is uh, considerate and, and thoughtful and doesn't hurt our own goals. So that that's critically important. I'm pro-life. I believe that uh, the pro-life position is a libertarian position. And uh, my goal is to work outside of the Libertarian Party to convince people of that. I, I work with uh, pregnancy resource centers, for example, here in West Michigan to try to get the message out and, and spread the message about life. I don't think that the government is most effective at doing that sort of thing. As a president, the Libertarian Party supports the idea of not funding abortion providers. So the Libertarian Party is aligned with my, my position on that. What I can tell you is I have uh, agreement with the principles of the Libertarian Party. I've been a Libertarian my entire life, a small L Libertarian. And I believe that when you work within government, you have to make those changes that will convince people to come to your side. You have to bring the issues, uh, you have to present libertarianism to them with the issues that they care about or are concerned about right now. It can't be some kind of overnight experiment where we uh, rework all of society or rework all of our government. If, in fact, that's uh, arrogance in a form of central planning of, of another sort to come in and say, we're just going to throw out everything we have overnight and start anew. We have to do things gradually and carefully, and we have to trust the people to make decisions through our constitutional system of government. Thank you, Congressman. Um, my next question goes to Mr. Hornberger. Um, Mr. Hornberger, one of the things that you're running on is strict adherence to principles over votes, which includes the unerring adherence to the non-aggression principle. Harry Brown on his website wrote and provided a copy of the letter you wrote to the Federal Elections Commission asking whether he had filed the required financial disclosure statements, what the civil and criminal penalties would be for not filing, on time, whether legal action against Harry could be initiated by a citizen's complaint. And the question is, how can you claim to be in favor of the entire platform when your actions against the presidential nominee in 2000 involved your attempt to use government force to achieve social goals in violation of the NAP? Mr. Hornberger. Well, because the premises of your question are false, Chris. Uh, I got in a fight with Harry Brown over the importance of ethics in this party. I've, I've always held that ethics are the utmost importance. And there, there are people in the party that said, no, ethics don't matter. They don't violate the libertarian non-aggression principle when people engage in unethical conduct. Well, there was corruption in the party. There was the executive director helping, a, helping the Brown campaign in violation of the party rules. They were doing it under the table. They were laundering money. And I took a stand against this. Several of us did. We paid a big price for it. I've made enemies in this party even to this day, 20 years later. In the midst of that fight, Harry Brown was advertising to the Federal Elections Commission that he wanted to test 
something that he was doing. I forget what it was, but it was something big deal. And he kept saying, I want the FEC to know what I'm doing. I want them to do to come after me because I want to test this in court. I said, well, this is ridiculous. And I was curious as to what I forget what he was doing, but I was curious about it, too. So I said, why not just write the FEC and ask him, what is your position on this? And that's what I did. I just said, what is your position on what Brown is, is doing here, which he was advertising? And so at that point, Brown pulled a really fast one on me. He immediately buried the fact that he was advertising this and said, Jacob, just turned me into the FEC. Jacob, turned me into the FEC. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely a false accusation. But Brown had a big name. He was much more prestigious, much bigger name. So people believe that. And the lie has continued ever since. How do you battle against something like this when you're dealing with a figure that's like heroic in the party and you're a relatively small person in the party? I wouldn't turn anybody in. It's ridiculous. All I was doing was asking a question, the same question that Brown was doing publicly. I was being more direct about it. And the FEC never even responded to me. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Um, the next question is for Mr. Supreme. Um, sir, I asked you in the last debate and heard from a number of delegates that they did not believe that you answered it. So I, I, I'm going to ask it again. Um, yes, there's a section of the Libertarian Party that believes that rent is theft. The national platform in 2.1 provides that as respect for property rights is fundamental to maintaining a free and prosperous society, it follows that the freedom to contract, to obtain, rent, retain, profit from, manage, or dispose of one's property must also be upheld. Do you believe that rent is theft, and do landlords have property rights that must be upheld? Mr. Supreme. I do not believe that rent is theft. Uh, I pay rent. I have no problem with rent. Um, and I do support the right of people who own property to indeed rent it out, as long as you know they, they maintain it and uh, hold up their end of the bargain, of course. This, this is America, gosh darn it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Um, the next question also goes to you. Um, and this is another chance for you to address a criticism. Um, yes, when, and, and you're going to, we heard this before, but I've got to ask it again. We've got over, looks like 1,400 viewers tonight, record audience. I don't think they've heard it. Um, one of the criticisms leveled at you in your campaign is that it's a joke. It's not serious. It's going to be ignored by media outlets as being unserious. It's going to cost the party ballot access. It's going to cause brand damage. How do you respond to those criticisms? Well, uh, once again, I respectfully disagree with the assessment of the uh, potential that this uh, campaign actually offers the Libertarian Party in terms of uh, recruitment and education and bringing out the message of libertarianism to a, a very large portion of the people that are not familiar with the with the concept even or who know nothing of the party um so i and i fully believe that i am on have a full uh leg up in terms of social media i would also suggest that you take a, a good solid look at the way that the media has indeed covered me over these past 30 years uh, they get it they understand it uh, they understand that satire is indeed an effective communication strategy. And that is essentially what I'm offering the party, this particular brand of communication strategy that I have developed uh, to, to reach out and communicate with people. And once again, I do believe it is in the framing. It is owning it. It is owning the joke. It is the hashtag. We are in on the joke. And it is, in fact, admitting that it is a joke, but it's a joke that we, the Libertarian Party, are presenting as a criticism and as a weapon against the duopoly. And we are using this campaign uh, of uh, putting out this non-linear messaging 
that, that goes a lot deeper and has a very wide appeal uh, with the young people um, to get across our message. And uh, I am happy to break the fourth wall. As you can see right now, I'm not in character. The boot is not on my head. Um, I am not on. I'm not being disruptive. Uh, all of these things that, that are people that have this general preconceived notion uh, based on the meme. Granted, the meme exists and granted my character exists. But once again, it is all part and parcel, the ability and the fluidity of myself and what I've developed to uh, explain exactly what it is that we are doing in a very uh, straightforward educational term. Uh, please watch uh, Who is Vermin Supreme uh, on, on Vimeo. It's the documentary that uh, covers a lot of... Uh, of context, I believe. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for clearing that up, Mr. Supreme. The next question, um, go, again, goes to Dr. Jorgensen. Um, Dr. Jorgensen, if we were to nominate you, it appears that um, you've got a couple campaign staff, which isn't much, no significant fundraising to date, um, not much name recognition. Um, and you just told us you were going to hit um, some fairly substantial numbers, including ballot access numbers. Um, how do you plan on doing that if you're the nominee? Well, first of all, if I were the nominee, I would have the entire party behind me. What I plan to do is to go after the 45 million people out there, the voters who are libertarian and just don't know it yet. And the only way to do that is to give a practical message, talk about things that they are interested in, and give a message of benefits and not just the features. And I've explained this before, how um, when when I first became a libertarian and I talked about freedom and liberty and isn't that great, I had so many people say, well, you're just selfish or you don't care about the poor people. Um, and my favorite <laughs> was people saying, well, you know, not everybody is smart is as smart as you are. We have to have social security because other people aren't that smart. So I was getting bogged down into issues um, that were important to libertarians and framed in a way that people did not see how it could help them. So what I plan to do is, first of all, talk about health care, talk about bring the troops home, and last, talk about the environment. Libertarian candidates rarely talk about the environment because it's usually something that doesn't excite the party as much as some other issues. But that's important to the voters out there. So I'm going to talk about what's important to them so that they can see how we can help them um, you know, help the environment, how we can uh, set up a medical care system so that they can actually pay their bills. Right now, uh, unfortunately, people think, oh, we have a free market system and it doesn't work. That's why we need to go to single payer. I will explain how, no, we do not have a free uh, market system. We've got a government run system in which over half the healthcare dollars go through the government and that's why it's not working. So I will show how the Libertarian Party can solve their problems. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Just real quick before we go to the next candidate, there is uh, for LP, for Libertarian Party primary delegates, um, we're going to run a poll. Uh, we're going to share it with the campaigns. They're interested in the data. Um, we've got about 250 um, delegates that have signed up for it. LPKYKendrick at yahoo.com. Send Christy your name and your email if you want to participate in the poll. We'll also be running a poll online for the viewers. Probably not the same quality data, though, as, as actually polling the primary delegates. So again, LPKYKendrick at yahoo.com if you would like to be polled and you are a Libertarian Party primary delegate. 
Um, the next, uh, the same question, uh, I'm sorry, the next question uh, will go to Dr. Or, I'm sorry, Judge Gray. Judge Gray, the Gray Sharp tax plan involves a stipend of $15,000 where you get the first $15,000 um, from the federal government if you don't earn any income and then you lose 50 cents of the stipend for each dollar earned up to $30,000 which is a marginal tax rate of about 50%, and then income over $30,000 is taxed at an unspecified uh, flat rate, which I'm gonna ask you about. Um, if you're a nominee though, um, I guess I'd like to know what that flat rate is, and also can we expect a continuation and advocation uh, of federal tax policy that still involves the federal government throwing Americans in jail and the use of force to take their hard-earned money and give it to others? Judge Gray? Sure, very decent questions. Look, Chris, the first thing you look at is in this age of the pandemic, for example, we're not going to do away with income taxes right away. It's a pipe dream. Things are awful in, in that. So what you do is you show people, hey, this can be so much better. We can get 85% of the intrusion of the IRS by going with this program, which, by the way, is on solid ground. It was, it was Milton Friedman's idea. He called it a negative income tax. I call it a stipend. But, you know, otherwise, we can have incentives for everybody everybody in the country to earn the extra dollar. Today, that's totally gone with regard to our welfare system. We can obliterate the welfare system, particularly, just go with this one program. And then, of course, uh, it will have an incentive all the way around to do the right thing. It can address the homeless issue from an institutional standpoint, Chris, where today, no, we don't owe anybody. I could be bleeding on the street right here. You would have no legal obligation to help me at all unless you caused my injuries. That would be different. But we're a compassionate people. We care. So we will set up this system for the homeless so that they can have automatically in their ATM account this amount of money. And then the private sector would start coming in, providing room and board facilities that are fairly easy fairly inexpensive price. So it makes things much better. Single moms will be supported. You can go back to school, you'll be supported. So that's the, that's the issue here. And, and I'm proud of it. This is a radical, radically simple project that will get the IRS out of our way. And that is devoutly to be wished. Milton Friedman liked it, and so do I. By the way, if you have other questions, go to judgejimgray.com. I've written rather extensively on this, as well as other things. I have a podcast. It's called All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray, trying to main, mainstream the word libertarian because we are the only mainstream party in America today, and it includes caring about people voluntarily, but we vote this in, we care for them voluntarily, and I'm proud of it. I welcome any discussion about it further. Thank you, Judge Gray. Um, our next question is for Congressman Amash. Um, Congressman, one of the other concerns that delegates are raising is the existence of the exploratory committee versus a formal committee to run for Congress. Um, they go to your presidential website for the campaign. It's got no platform or issue statements. Um, and there's some concern, I guess, that the, uh, the Congress campaign site's still up, raising some money. And, and it's raising concerns about the seriousness of your run, um, whether you're committed to run, to the run. And the other concern that I've heard, and, and it's just a chance for you to address it, is this a run for president or is this an anti-Trump campaign? Um, and, and could you address those concerns for us? Well, the, the first one's easy. It's not an anti-Trump campaign. It's a run for president. As for the congressional campaign, I paused that campaign. That is not an active campaign. I, I don't intend to go back to that campaign. Um, I have a campaign website that we put together uh, as quickly as possible when we made the decision. There will be more coming to that campaign website in the next few weeks. 
Uh, part of the reason I started with an exploratory committee was actually out of respect to the Libertarian Party and the delegates. I'm new to the party. I believe it's the right thing to do not to come in with some assumption about running for president and being the nominee. I wanted to start with an exploratory committee out of respect to the delegates so I could get to meet them so they could hear my positions on things uh, over the next few weeks and then make a decision about whether I'm going to be the nominee and will continue to run. At that point, if I'm selected as the nominee, of course, we drop the exploratory and we're going uh, full bore into the campaign. But right now, out of respect to the delegates, I started with an exploratory committee so that it wouldn't seem like I was coming in with some expectations because I don't have those expectations. I don't believe it's right for any candidate to come in and expect to be nominated just because they're more well-known or whatever. The candidate has to earn it. And I'm a candidate who has the right principles. I'm a libertarian, have been a libertarian all my life, but can also match that with a practical approach that people will connect with, that people at home across the political spectrum will connect with. And I think that's really important. Thank you, Congressman Amash. Um, our next question is Mr. Hornberger. Um, Mr. Hornberger, one of the other charges that uh, Mr. Brown made, and I'm going to quote him, um, is to the best of my knowledge, he has never given a single speech or written a single article promoting the Libertarian Party or its candidates to non-libertarians. Yes, he gives rousing speeches to libertarians, reassuring them that we're morally right, but he has no history of persuading non-libertarians, and none of the articles he writes for newspapers promotes the LP. And my question to you is, what do you plan to do if you're the nominee to sell libertarianism to non-libertarians and to sell the Libertarian Party itself? Well, first of all, what, what Brown failed to point out is that I've devoted my life to libertarianism. I was a practicing lawyer in, in Texas. I practiced law for 12 years, but my passion was libertarianism. And this was where my heart was. And so I got offered a job at the Foundation for Economic Education in New York. And I decided to give up what I really loved, the law practice, to devote my life full time to the advancement of libertarianism. And when you do that, it really doesn't matter in the larger sequence of things, whether you're writing articles advancing libertarianism in the educational arena or whether you're doing it in the libertarian party political arena. What matters is that you're devoting your life to this cause. And that's what I've done. Um, you know, to me, principles are everything. I mean, that's why I got into this party. Uh, you know, I wasn't interested in a, a political party that trades uh, its principles for the sake of big razzle-dazzle publicity in the mainstream press or, uh, you know, for the sake of more votes. I got into this party because it was special. It was unique. It, it, it adhered to principle regardless of the political consequences. That was a party that I wanted to be part of. Now, I should point out that Congressman Amash, something that he did not point out, was that he still has his congressional campaign up there. And from what I can tell, it's still raising money. And there's another thing to note about these two campaign sites. When we're talking about the Libertarian Party, neither campaign site mentions the Libertarian Party. Why not? Um. We're now going to move to um, the candidate to candidate uh, question, but I'm going to go ahead and, and in just a minute, um, we'll go ahead and uh, uh, put a link up for our viewers to start polling. Um, but the first question uh, will come from Mr. Supreme. Um, Mr. Supreme, uh, the first question is yours. Um, yes, uh, th this is a question for uh, uh, Mr. Mosh. Um, so I, I will get a refund for, for that donation to your congressional campaign. Did you donate to my congressional campaign? I, I believe I did, yes. Oh, if you'd like one, you can have one. 
<laughs> okay. I, I didn't know, but first, thank you for the donation. But if you'd like a refund, yeah, you can have one, of course. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll have my staff reach out to your staff. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Mr. Hornberger, the next question is yours. Uh, this is for Congressman Amash. Congressman Amash, you, of course, pride yourself on being a, a strict constitutionalist, a supporter of the Constitution. And you supported a bill that called, uh, I think it was the past couple of years, that called for a nationwide criminal ban on abortion, in which people who were caught engaging in an abortion would be convicted of a federal felony involving a five-year jail sentence. Can you tell me where in the Constitution you rely on to support this federal felony offense for abortion? So I'm not sure about the particular bill you're referencing because it was in the past and I, I don't know exactly which it's bill. It's bill 36. But, but I can answer the question. The 14th Amendment provides uh, the power to have the federal government address state violations of people's rights. And as someone who's pro-life, I believe that uh, a baby inside the womb is a life. And if I believe that that person is a life, then I think it's appropriate for the federal government to tell states that it is not okay to discriminate against these lives. Now, as a presidential candidate, as a pres presidential nominee, I won't be making the legislation. The legislature will decide that. Congress decides on the legislation and sends things to my desk. With the parties very divided uh, over this issue, nothing's going to come to my desk that does that. That's my view of it. And when I'm voting in Congress, that's how I would vote. But as a presidential candidate, with respect to people who are concerned within the party, because there is a split within the party between pro-life people and pro-choice people, the president will have very little opportunity for that kind of thing because there is a, a huge divide within the party. So the only thing that is likely to come to my desk as president is a bill to not fund abortion providers, no federal funding for abortion providers. And that is something that all libertarians within the party agree on. Uh, the, at least the vast majority of them agree on that. Thank you, Congressman. Um, the next question actually will come from Congressman Amash. Congressman Amash, the question is yours. My, my question is for Judge Gray. Judge, in your experience from running races as a libertarian, what's the most effective way to appeal to people who may be sympathetic to our message but are currently outside the party? Sure, and thank you. And that, the first thing I would do in leading off, Justin, is to ask the question. We should have a sunset provision for all federal agencies. We should have an audit. Let's just see. We're, it's taking our money. Let's see what they have done for the last five years or so, how, what they have accomplished, how much they have spent. Okay, now they bring us a budget to the Congress openly, individually, one by one. Let's see what they plan for the next five years, what they feel to accomplish. Then we can bring up Milton Friedman's wonderful comment, which is, we should judge our programs by their success, not their good intentions. And you do this on C-SPAN, you show people. So wait a minute, this is duplicated, we don't need that. Wait a minute, this started in the New Deal for heaven's sake. Maybe they needed it then, probably not, but it doesn't need to happen anymore. There can be some agencies, and I think you've seen this, you probably agree, that should be abolished. I mean, let's start with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which the Native Americans call bossing Indians around. We can just focus on these things. And incrementally then, they'll get that felt need, 
wait, we don't need this anymore. We need to start balancing our budget for our children and the rest. So that's what you would open with. And then you don't scare the voters. You don't say, I'm going to abolish the Pentagon, or I'm going to abolish income taxes or whatever, or I'm going to abolish Obamacare. As soon as you say that, two-thirds of the voters think, you don't care about me. Well, I do. I would have a voucher instead on a sliding scale for health care so that people could then purchase health insurance or even their co-pays on the private market so the prices will come down. So you just explain this to people. And, and with my background as well, it, it really helps to have been in the Peace Corps. I care about people. Been in the military. I care about the military as well. So these are things that, that I recommend all of us use. I'm, I'm not proud. No pride of authorship. Feel free to use them yourself. They're successful. All right. Thank you, Judge Gray. Thank you, Congressman Wash. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen, the next, the next question is yours. I have a question for Jim Gray. So in the debate earlier this week, we were talking about whether or not drugs should be um, regulated as alcohol is. And I think we can pretty much all agree that, yes, children should not, you know, there should be a, a legal age, that children should not be allowed to use heroin and so forth. But I wanted to go back to the question that um, Jacob Hornberger asked you. Specifically, what um, regulations, if any, do you think there should be on American adults using drugs, such as, you know, who can sell it, what time of the day you can sell it, which days of the week, who can sell it, all that. So in other words, how regulated do you want to see drugs? Sure. Well, pretty straightforward. And, and, and thank you, uh, Joe. First of all, it first, probably in the first week, first day that I would be sworn into office, I would take marijuana off the schedules, and then I would try to have repealed the Controlled Substances Act. These are not federal issues. We as a country realized that back when we passed the 18th Amendment. We knew that the federal government couldn't make alcohol illegal, so they had to pass a, a government a constitutional amendment to do it, and they passed the 21st to repeal it. So it is illegal. So let's leave these issues to the state. Now, if I'm king of California, King James has kind of a ring to it, but it hasn't caught on yet. But no, I would probably, with regard to marijuana or hemp, CBD oil, the rest of that, just make it pretty much on the free market uh, and allow people with age restrictions uh, and not advertise, hopefully, where minors would see it, but to be able to treat it like, like cotton. With regard to the other drugs, I'm concerned about methamphetamines and the rest. I would bring them under medical control if I were king of California, such that a medical doctor could discuss them with, discuss various combinations of drugs uh, and be able then to prescribe them or have them take them under medically controlled circumstances. That's what I would do in California, but maybe if the state of Washington came up with a better idea, we can learn from each other. You know, these 50 crucibles of democracy, the federalism idea is exactly what I would employ leaving, by the way, one role for the federal government that if, for example, Indiana were to keep these drugs illegal and someone smuggled the drugs into Indiana, that could be a very well a federal violation. But otherwise, federal government should be out of it completely. Thank you, Judge Gray. Um, Judge Gray, the last question is yours, but I actually need to make a plug because there's a, 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 um, a poll up. A poll up. Um, if everybody looks, lpky.org slash fifth debate. Um, if you could, if any of the viewers want to vote, in that uh, poll, they'll be able to, um, the poll will be up now, between now and a little bit after the debate closes. The other thing is the delegate, the primary delegate poll that we're running by OPA vote, the professionally run poll that, that's actually the primary delegates, um, 
that will that poll will go out um, probably maybe 15 minutes after this debate ends. It will be up for 24 hours, but it's only available to primary voting delegates of the Libertarian Party. Uh, Judge Gray, the next question is yours. Well, thank you. A little reciprocity then. I'd like to talk <laughs> to Dr. Jorgensen. Sure. Joe, I'll openly acknowledge to you that I am a bit envious. Uh, you were able to run with Harry Brown in 1996. You got to know him. Uh, I've met him a few times, but didn't really get to know him. Tell us, with regard to his ethics, tell him what, what was it like to campaign with someone like Harry Brown? Um, as I mentioned earlier this evening, it was pretty awesome. Uh, one thing that I really liked about Harry is, as I mentioned, he's both principled and practical. He followed the party platform. He did not compromise, but he um, basically sold it in a way that Americans could see the benefits. For instance, he would often ask people, imagine if you don't have an income tax. Uh, think about what you would do with that money. Would you put your kids through school? Would you maybe go on an extra vacation every year? Or would you um, maybe buy a car every three years instead of every 10 years? And he would have people dreaming about how liberty and freedom could practically improve their lives now, today, not five years down the line, not 10 years down the line. Also, Harry Brown, as you know, has had a lot of gravitas. He looks very presidential. He, um, he really represented the party well. You could see him talk and you could imagine, yes, this guy could be president. He acts very presidential. So I would say it was his unwavering support of libertarian principles that was the best part about him. I remain envious. Thank you. I'm sorry? Uh, I, I remain envious. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Judge Gray. We're going to um, now move to closing arguments. Uh, the way this works is um, some candidates used um, uh, their rebuttal cards, and so they've lost a little bit of time. Some candidates went way over their time, um, and they've lost the, their time. But the way that this works is I'm going to go through um, each candidate. Um, uh, Mr. Hornberger, Judge Gray, and um, Congressman Amash have each used one um, card each, so they, they each have four minutes to close. Um, Joe, uh, Dr. Jorgensen and Vermin Supreme have not used any, so they have five minutes to close. Um, and the first closing statement will be from Mr. Hornberger. Mr. Hornberger? Yeah, in 1990, I received a telephone call from a guy named Bill Evers from the California LP, inviting me to join the LP platform committee. I said, no, can't do it, man. You're a political party that's just watering down principles. And he says, have you ever read the party platform? I said, I don't need to. He says, let me send you a copy. This is what I read 30 years ago. We favored the repeal of the fraudulent, virtually bankrupt and increasingly oppressive social security system. We advocate the complete separation of medicine and state. We favor abolition of Medicare and Medicaid programs. We call for the elimination of all restrictions on immigration, the abolition of the Immigration and Naturalization Service and the Border Patrol. I called Bill up and I said, man, if you'll still have me, it would be an honor to serve on this platform committee for this party. I didn't care how many members I had. I didn't care what their vote totals were. All that mattered to me was that this is a special party, a unique party, one that adheres to principle, regardless of the reaction of the mainstream media of the, and the American voters. This was a party that I wanted to be part of. The irony is that today, 30 years later, this same party, the Libertarian Party, is being asked to become the type of party 
that I wasn't interested in joining. Now, if you look at the Republicans, now Congressman Amash says he's a libertarian, but he's more than that. He's also a conservative. The media calls him a libertarian-leaning conservative. When he's involved with, with conservative groups, he tells them he's a conservative. He was on NBC the other day. He's a conservative. The problem is his conservatism has ramifications for his libertarianism. Barry Goldwater, in his, in his book, The Conscience of a Conservative, argued against Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, income taxation. But when he lost that 64 election to Johnson, got massacred, the Republicans threw in the towel and said, if we're going to be players, if we're going to get votes from people, we have to accept the premises, the permanence of the welfare, warfare, state way of life. And that's when Republicans threw in the towel on ever achieving freedom. And then they, they come into our party with, like Judge Gray. And all they want to do is say, accept this defeatism and say, oh, well, we're, we're going to just reform things, health savings accounts and reform this and reform that. Now, you know, an interesting question in this is, is you know, what, why wouldn't I support all the candidates? Up to this point, I would support any candidate for president. Congressman Amash presents problems for me. He favors sanctions against the people of Iran. These people are suffering from this virus. I consider this morally abominable. I love the Iranian people. I haven't bought into all this crud that there are rivals and enemies. I love them. And the fact that they're being targeted for death with sanctions that he supports, I find unconscionable. Uh, there is also uh, his, his sending kids kids to the website of the CIA. I've devoted my entire life to getting this system eradicated, not reformed. The CIA, MKUltra, torture, destruction of torture tapes, state-sponsored assassinations. How can I, in good conscience, with everything I've stood for as a libertarian, endorse a candidate like that? And if anybody has any conscientious objections to my candidacy, I would support that too. Look, we are the party of principle. We are not libertarian-leaning conservatives. We're not libertarian-leaning progressives. We are not the Tea Party. We are libertarians. And I say, let's fight as libertarians. If we go down, at least we go down as libertarians. I say, let's challenge the cult of the omnipotent state with respect to what both conservatives and progressives have brought this country, not with reform, but with liberty. Let's lead America to the highest reaches of freedom, peace, prosperity, and harmony that mankind has ever seen. We are the party of principle. That's why I'm in this party. That's why I'm seeking your nomination for president of the United States. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Um, the next closing is Mr. Supreme. Mr. Supreme, you have five minutes, sir. Oh, thank you. Well, that's, uh, that's probably more than enough time. Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, say thank you very much for this uh, opportunity. And I did want to state that I do believe that the uh, abortion plank in the uh, in our platform is uh, spot on and uh, pitch perfect. It, it it makes allowances for both sides and uh, clearly states and simply and, and eloquently keep the government out of it. Uh, they, they have no business uh, in in that area of our lives either. Um, and also, so I'd like to close and uh, just to reiterate that this is indeed a, a serious campaign. Uh, uh, it's my first serious campaign, that's true, and it's been very interesting uh, going to all the state conventions and meeting the delegates and uh, having actual strategy and objectives and, and that type of thing. Um, we, we've attracted all sorts of talent uh, uh, from even outside of the LP. Uh, my campaign is uh, predominantly uh, represented by staff uh, that represents the, the left and, and right uh, areas, principled libertarians, one and all. Um, I have a great... Uh, 
vice president, uh, Spike Cohen, who's, who just adds so much to the ticket. Uh, he's such a, a wonderful person. And uh, I would never think of jumping uh, into that VP race for, for that reason. Um, now, if you have any uh, actual questions about my uh, integrity or, or authenticity or or legitimate as, uh, as an activist for over 30 years in opposition uh, to authority and the state, I would uh, recommend that you uh, watch the documentary, Who is Vermin Supreme? An Outsider Odyssey. Uh, it is on Vimeo. Uh, unfortunately, it documents my life uh, up to a, a point before I uh, became a libertarian. Uh, however, uh, be, be assured uh, that I have indeed uh, developed a communication strategy uh, that connects and resonates uh, with young people. And uh, kids are naturally anti-authoritarian. They are naturally non-conformists. And uh, they ask why the, are the things that the way they are and kids do want to change the world and that is something that i have in common with kids and that libertarians have in common with kids and uh, i do believe that uh, i have become or been adopted as a, a voice of a, a new generation uh if you will and uh, i have been using this this platform uh, that i've been gifted with and have been working very hard to achieve uh, for very long uh, as an opportunity to spread the word of mutual aid and voluntarism and charity and love and empathy and liberty. And uh, once again, these are the only things uh, that are getting us through this current crisis. Uh, the federal government has been knocking on doors to check in on people. No, it's it's been neighbors. And so I've been consistently hammering uh, this message home, steering people to the LP platform, uh, getting new members into the party. And it is people helping people, and it is neighbors helping neighbors. And we are uh, trying to help build stronger families and stronger communities. And that uh, equals less need for government. And uh, so please, uh, I hope that you will consider joining me in this campaign. And uh, please uh, understand that it is a bona fide and genuine and legitimate offer uh, that I am putting on the table. And so I would like to close uh, with the following uh, prepared statement, uh, words from my, my friend Ryan, and it is as follows. Let us not go back to the way it was. Let us not let ourselves go back to the way we were. Let us heal. Let us work together. Let us look into the future. Let us make a better world now together. We don't have to go back to the old world. Disruption leads to innovation and change. Innovate now. Change now. Disrupt now. Let us no longer carry the things that do not serve us while we have this unprecedented moment in time. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. The next um, candidate to close will be Dr. Jorgensen. Dr. Jorgensen, you have five minutes. Thank you for that. 
So tonight you've heard Jacob Hornberger highlight our libertarian principles, and he does a really good job of explaining why our principles and platform are important, and they are. But that's not enough. You've also heard Jim Gray explain how he can present a practical message that will attract non-libertarians. And yes, uh -huh. that's important. I, is there somebody? <laughs> okay. I, I could hear some You're set, sorry. He had a live somebody mic. talking over me. Um, since I've got so much time, I'll go back to the beginning uh, and paraphrase. So um, as I mentioned, Jacob Hornberger does a great job of explaining why our principles and platform are important, but that's not enough for our candidate to do. You've also heard Jim Gray explain how he can present a practical message that will attract non-libertarians and not scare other people away by having something too harsh. And yes, that's important as well, but it's not enough. So why aren't they enough? Because we need to have both. If we simply talk about principles and, and freedom, people tend to roll their eyes and say, well, but we're the freest country on earth. If we talk about solutions um, while still promoting an IRS and an income tax, now we've sold out our platform. My campaign takes the best of both of those campaigns. I'm offering something that's principled and practical. I'm going to speak to the American people in a way to show them how, how liberty can benefit them, how it can help pay their bills, how they can have a better life, how their kids can be educated, how we can have safer streets. And I'm going to do that in a practical way without compromising the platform. I will put forth the entire platform plank by plank and not sell out at all. One of my favorite candidates was Ed Clark, who said when, when people asked him, would you be, um, could, do you have a chance to be president? And he said, you know, if I had a chance to sit at the kitchen table of every American family and explain to them what libertarianism is, I would win in a landslide. And I firmly believe that. Now, do I have proof that my way is working? Actually, yes. In one state, one of the top uh, people in the state, one of the top activists said he's been a party member for many, many years, but his wife didn't, did not want to join the party. But after hearing me speak at the convention, she decided to become a big L libertarian. At another state convention, a delegate brought me her friend to uh, introduce and said, you know, my friend has never been at a state convention or really any libertarian convention before. And out of all the candidates, and there were many, she liked your message the best. So I, my message is resonating with non-libertarians. So we need both of these approaches to unify the party. We can't afford to be split into warring factions. We have to combine the practical with the principled. What would I do as president? I would use my authority as commander in chief to bring our troops home now. I will stop fighting undeclared foreign wars and leave wealthy allies to fund their own defense. There is no reason we should be paying for other countries' defense. America will become one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. I will use my pardon power to free people convicted of exposing government corruption or committing crimes without a victim. This would include sex work, drug laws, 
simple ownership of a gun uh, and, and simple possession and use of drugs. I will insist that Congress set priorities, balance the budget, and put an end to deficit spending. We have no right to saddle our children and grandchildren with trillions of dollars in debt. I will also work in Cong with Congress to permanently fix our social security system. I would have an immediate opt out so people could immediately opt out of the system. But those people who were forced at, at literally at the point of a gun to turn over their retirement money for 40 years, we can't leave them out in the cold. That money was not stored in a lockbox. It went to pay for monuments and post offices and so forth. So let's sell those assets and give the money to the rightful owners. I'm a lifelong libertarian. Please visit joj2020.com and join my team. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. The next, the next candidate will be uh, Congressman Amash. Congressman Amash, you have four minutes. Well, thanks to the Libertarian Party of Kentucky for hosting this debate, and thanks to the delegates for watching. I'm excited to be a part of the Libertarian Party, and I'm looking forward to working with all of you to grow it for years to come. Like any group, we have a diverse set of beliefs. You've heard from candidates on this stage today who have something different to add, but we're all concerned about liberty. Each one of us believes in the value of the individual and in protecting rights. And we just have different ways of bringing that about. We have different ways of representing libertarian interests as candidates. I look forward to working with all of these candidates going forward. And I'm excited to be the first Libertarian Party member in Congress. I think that's really important. I bring a lot of experience to this job. I will bring take that experience and spread the libertarian message to people across the country. Right now, we have governments across the country uh, enacting extraordinary limits on our liberty. And Democrats and Republicans are really looking for an alternative. They're looking for something that will set them free. Someone who will come in and, and defend indiv individual rights, defend individual decision-making. And I can be that person for this party. I believe I can be a uniter for the party, bringing different groups together. And then I can take that message of libertarianism, of freedom, and share it with people across the country. I think that is really important. And I'm committed to doing that as your uh, nominee, if I'm, if I'm able to earn your nomination. If you want to join our efforts, please check out amashforamerica.com to sign up and contribute. All of our efforts over the next weeks and months will be dedicated to spreading the message of liberty, uh, helping to grow the Libertarian Party, and winning in, in November. Thank you so much. Thank you, Congressman. Um, our last uh, candidate tonight will be Judge Gray. Judge Gray, uh, you also have four minutes. Judge, you're muted. Now I'm not muted, am I? Okay. No, nope, you're good. I really want to thank your team, uh, Dan, Chris, and, and the rest of you, and thanks to the delegates and the other viewers for allowing us to spend uh, two hours or so in, in your homes or wherever. You know, I think the choices for the delegates are pretty clear, and that's a good thing, and the Libertarian Party of Kentucky has helped with regard to that. That look, I want things for my grandson Hudson to be better when he's starting to go to school than they are now. I want the things to be better with regard to our health care, with regard to our wars, for heaven's sake. I ask people frequently, look, 
we will require a declaration of war for any troops in battle within after they're there for 60 days, we'll bring them back. What is the goal today for our fighting troops in Afghanistan? No one has a good idea. Those troops should be brought home, should have been brought home decades ago. These are things that we would bring. We will pass back the presidential power to Congress, like we said before, to the states, to the people. That's where they belong. We will get the government out of your bedroom. We'll get the government out of your wallet. We'll get the government out of your business. Come on, we'll get the government out of your way. That's what Gray Sharp 2020 will be doing. We have the ability. We are pretty well rounded. We're going to show a vast number of people that you really are libertarian. I'd say 75 to 80% of the people in our country would subscribe to what our values are, what our principles are, what our goals are. They just don't know it. We need to get this word out there. We need to show people. Look, Thomas Jefferson, one of my favorite libertarians, said one time, we need to have a bloody revolution every generation in order to keep the vested interests at bay. Well, fortunately, our Constitution, to which we pledge allegiance, wouldn't keep that from having to be bloody. But how long has it been? How long has it been since we have had a, that political revolution? Probably the 1860s when the Republicans took over from the Whigs. It's time. And we are the only game in town. We're the only hope for America. We're the only hope to get away from this polarization. It's so, so frustrating and, and divisive. It's also the time that we get responsibility back with regard to our deficits. The biggest security threat to the United States of America today, to my grandson, is the deficit. And we're the only ones that are talking about it. We will pare it down. We'll shine a light on it. We're not going to abolish anything immediately because the president can't do that. But the Congress can with the help of the, of the people when it's seen, oh, yes, we really don't need that Department of Education. Our educational system was so much better prior to the, Car the Jimmy Carter administration when he formed the Department of Education. But we're not going to do it overnight. We're going to show people, no, it's just, it's harmful. It's huge. So these are things that we will do. The lines are drawn pretty much incrementally, or you're going to have the purist approach where the, you hit them with a sledgehammer. Five, 10 years from now, my little, little grandson will not be any better shape than he is today. So I ask you, Come and look and see who we are. Judge Jim Gray, Larry Sharp, go to sharp, graysharp.2020.com. I tell you that we will provide something alleged to the Constitution. We will join, if you join us, if you support us, if you help us move mountains, I vow to you that we will make you proud. In fact, I'll further that vow, even if you don't, we will still make you proud. We are, we are there to keep, we are here to bring the party higher in the, in the esteem of people, spread that culture. And then when we ask that question five or 10 years from now, are we in better shape? Yes, we are. We will do you proud, that I promise. And thank you. Good evening, um, viewers. We hope you enjoyed the debate. Uh, we hope, um, thank you, by the way, to all of our candidates. If we can get a quick smile with everyone uh, real quick um, for a group photo. <laughs> Uh, if anybody wanted to take a screenshot, thank you. Um, and I, I just wanted to make a final pitch. Thank you for joining us tonight. We've got some fantastic candidates in this party. In my opinion, our, all of our candidates are better than anything the Republican and the Democratic candidates can put up. Um, please, if you're not already a member of our national party, http www.lp.org slash join us. 
we're trying to get our candidate on 50 state ballots. And it's not easy this year with coronavirus going out and gathering signatures. The party's filing lawsuits all over the country to go and get them on the ballot. Join us, help, help the national party. Um, we need help um, and we need more people to go and do that. So whoever the nominee is needs that help. Please join the national party. Our candidates are nodding for a reason. Uh, we need the help. So you can do that and obviously help your state affiliate. They're going to help spin up um, and make sure that we put our candidate on the ballot and help them uh, achieve success. So please, uh, uh, please help us out. Uh, finally, uh, thank you again to our candidates and we hope the viewers enjoyed. Um, have a good evening. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.